Nightmerica is an independently produced podcast. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash nightmerica. And please tell your friends about us. Welcome to Nightmerica, a podcast that takes you on a tour of the abnormal, paranormal, weirdly true, and truly weird in every corner across this nation. Because, to paraphrase Ray Parker Jr., whether it's ghosts, aliens, monsters, or monstrous humans, there's something strange in your neighborhoods. Episode 20, Lakes and Bodies in Water. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Right, I thought that was an appropriate pun too. Instead of yep. bodies, bodies of water, bodies that are in bodies the... in water. I'm glad you picked bum, up bum, on bum. that. Yep, yes. I liked it. Um, yeah, I guess your background is pretty much well. I don't know where you swam when you were in France, but when you're in Chicago, you're probably in the Great Lakes quite a bit. I have never been in the water of. Lake Michigan. Um, in fact, I actually cannot swim and no one in my family can swim except for my nephew, Dylan. So if we're ever all on a boat together, that little six-year-old better get ready to save the entire family. I forgot about this. I feel like this was covered on a previous confessional it probably, episode. It probably was. And I probably... Only Dylan can swim. Probably said the same thing that I'm going to say now is how did you not learn how to swim? I grew up in Paris. Where do you swim? Paris is actually not that big as far as there's water on all sides. Well, on both sides of Paris. Well, one side of Paris. The Seine? You're not getting in that water. It's disgusting. Just saying. It's like Lake Michigan. I think You grew up in fucking Florida. Of course you know how to swim. I grew up in a city. Rivers, lakes, ocean. But still, I think I learning to swim. I get my hair wet. You didn't go to pool parties? Heck no. I didn't have friends in high school, okay? My only friends were like weird art kids. I learned how to swim at a very young age when one of the guys that started the Save the Manatee movement in Florida. I feel this is all very deja vu. I feel like we've had this conversation. I I don't think I've heard about the Save the Manatee thing. Yeah, so because... Florida, there's bodies of water everywhere. There's a thing called the Infant Swim Research, I believe, or Infant Swim 
something where they teach kids how to swim at a very young age. Oh, so that's I, super important. Yeah, basically babies can learn how to float. So at a young age, I learned how to float. And then as I just got to be a, a wee bit older, the gentleman that started that organization also started was one of the people instrumental in the Save the Manatee movement and was actually someone that uh, put a manatee statue under the water. And um, so anyhow, yes, I was in the water at a young age, swimming with all sorts of critters. In fact, it made me want to be a marine biologist for many, many years. Really? That's cool. I love the ocean. I love I love marine life. And I love tanning by the ocean. I guess that's similar, but yeah, the ocean makes me feel grounded. But yeah, well, you should probably at some point learn how to swim. Yeah, I should There's... probably also learn how to ride a bike too. Probably. <laughs> Those are some two skills. You're basically screwed if a zombie apocalypse happens. Can you drive? I don't. Of course I can drive. I don't want to survive if there is a zombie apocalypse. I want to die. It Ugh. is not worth it. Oh, I disagree. I think I did. I mean, Why? assuming I survived. So you're starving? Unhappy? Yeah. Well, it depends on where it is. No, I think I'd be okay. I'd be happy. This, you know. I, I think I could do quite well in a zombie apocalypse. If, I mean, you probably could. You can run. If I could survive after that first wave, then I think I would be better. But it also kind of depends on... Well, I mean, we could do a whole episode on zombies, but it depends on where you are when the apocalypse happens, what kind of resources you have, at your disposal what the climate is like like if it was on an island somewhere peachy sign me up i'm ready for it like a tropical island so have you watched that show alone on netflix where they drop people in antarctica no they get to keep they get to bring like 10 things like whatever 10 things they want so people bring like a tarp and like paracord and they're like, have fun. And whoever is there the longest gets like $100,000. Hmm. So it's a very I, interesting show. I'm not claiming I could do that. I would definitely probably bring more than 10 things. But You're not allowed to. In Antarctica, a tarp? Yeah. Yeah, I think you need more than a tarp in Antarctica. Anyhow, bodies in water, going off of that great pun. Um, <laughs> this is Nightmerica. I'm Brett. Oh, yeah, I didn't That's even do Aaron. that. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm Aaron Sagers. This is Nightmerica. We're doing an intro that started out. That's like, minute mark. Well, you know, cool. we like to keep people in suspense before they know who yep. they're listening to. Well, would you like to introduce yourself further? Yeah, I'm Brett. Uh, at that shop girl on Instagram, if you know me, I'm a true crime fanatic. It's nice to meet you. That was <laughs> smooth. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm at Aaron Sagers also on social. This feels very awkward all of a sudden. I'm Aaron Sagers from Paranormal Caught a Camera on Travel Channel, Paranormal Pop Razzi, Paranormal Pop Culture, a lot of the paranormal shows. And 
like Britt said, nice to meet you. <laughs> Let's pause for someone to say nice to meet you too. Yep. Please, sort of if like you're in, like out in public. Like in Catholic Mass. Home, but like, yeah. And also with you. Anyhow, <laughs> we're talking about lakes today, but before we get into that, why don't we talk a little bit about some newsy headlines and Britt, what what news items from Weird News did you discover this week? This was a juicy week in true crime news, which is probably a poor choice of words. Um, but the story I decided to go with was a story, uh, a story close to us in Manhattan, and it's the murder that happened on the Lower East Side of Fahim Saleh. I really hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, if you haven't heard, he was the CEO of some like major tech company. He'd done a lot of cool things like bringing these mopeds to um, third world countries. I should have researched this more. It's almost like I'm doing a true crime podcast. Um, but so he was murdered. He was only 33 years old. He possibly was murdered by his ex-assistant Tyrese Haspel, who was 21. Um, Tyrese has been charged, but of course, you know, we don't know. It just happened. So we don't know for sure. But what is super sad is that Tyrese had embezzled $90,000 from the company and instead of turning him in Fahim set up a payment plan for him to pay him back in like installments that were manageable um but Fahim was discovered by his cousin who was worried because he hadn't heard about him went to his luxury condo and opened the door to such a horrible scene his limbs and head were removed and put in garbage bags and there was an electric saw plugged in the wall still. Um, There's video of someone following Fahim into the building and there's uh, documented proof of Tyrese using his credit card at a Home Depot and he bought cleaning supplies and an electric saw. Um, He also then used Fahim's credit card to buy birthday balloons for his girlfriend the next day. Well, that's thoughtful. that's real thoughtful. His uh, Tyrese's landlord was quoted in this New York Times article saying, how stupid can you be? So I think that is probably a fair question. Yeah, but I'm Hopefully always... it's like an open and shut case. As I've said before, I'm glad there are stupid criminals out there yes. that can get... Agreed. ...get caught. I also am always curious about the people that... Not to get too graphic, but what goes through someone's mind where you think, oh, I can just dismember this body and and then throw the the scent off of me. Right. There's, it it doesn't kind of doesn't quite work that way. It's not I don't think that easy to do unless you are a trained assassin or you're. You know. No, so. I was talking about this case with a friend and they were like, yeah, I can't even like de-carcass a rotisserie chicken like i don't want to cut up someone's body ew yeah so that's my weird news what's your weird news well mine is actually sort of a flashback in a in a way so in 1973 there was the pascagoula abduction 
which is down in uh, Pascagoula, Mississippi, the Mississippi, and people say that the Mississippi. And basically, on October 11, 1973, they, these were these co-workers, uh, 42-year-old Charles Hickson, 19-year-old Calvin Parker, were apparently fishing on the bank of the Pascagoula when they were they heard a noise. They saw two flashing lights, an oval object about um, 8 to 10 feet high, and they were then paralyzed but remained conscious while creatures took them aboard an object and subjected them to examination so the pascagoula abduction is a relatively famous one in ufology now 47 years later the younger man which is calvin parker this is kind of quirky according to the Clarion Ledger, a recording made that night, was recently passed along to Parker, who was still alive. So, so what happened is these men went to the Pascagoula Police de- Department on the night this abduction occurred. And they started talking to the cops and they were both hesitant about it. Well, what happens is the the cops dismissed what these guys were saying. However, they left a recorder on in the room when they let when the police left the room. They left a recorder in there with um, Parker and Hickson, and these two were talking. And these they were talking about what they had seen. They were talking about how freaked out they were, about how Parker, who was the younger man, was talking about how. He just wanted to cry. And and so Parker has never heard this. And so now he has he's just realizing they have this whole thing on tape and it was passed along to him. In fact, a a, the person who passed it along has remained um, anonymous because they don't want to get involved. But. It was a man who was an officer with the Pascagoula Police Police Department on the night the abduction occurred. Does not want to be identified, but the officer passed this along because he fielded around 50 phone calls that night from people claiming to have seen something unusual in the sky. Now, what's interesting, so this again took place on October, October 11th, 1973, and... For a long time, Parker did not want to talk to the police, but then he kind of came around to it, and then I, I believe he eventually ended up doing a bigger interview and then even taking part in a documentary talking about this blue light, this thing that was reflecting off the water, and these things that abducted them, which is really creepy, uh, the way Parker describes yeah. him, is they were legless creatures one had no neck with gray wrinkled skin. Another had a neck, Ew. but appeared more feminine. Apparently their hands were shaped like mittens or crab claws. <laughs> and when they wrapped the... Yeah, but terrifying if you were to see it. Wrapped their hands around him. And it maybe it was some sort of device because it injected them with something. And it made them oh, go shit. numb. So... 
the two experienced this, they they decided to alert the authorities. Parker remained silent during this. He said he later regretted that he did remain silent and wish he had opened up and told them everything. Poor guy. And, I mean, you're in shock in that situation. Well, and even just this experience of saying, I couldn't resist them, powerless. You know, that's yeah. that's that's shocking. That's traumatizing. So, uh, Hickson has died. Hickson, um, he he was the older guy. He had died since then, but Parker is still alive. But it's interesting because even one of the sheriff's department kind of came along, came around to this, to this uh, notion of these guys were telling the truth. Like they eventually thought these guys were uh, telling a bunch of baloney. But then when they heard this audio of them in the in the room saying things like jesus christ god have mercy uh Aww. i thought i thought i'd been through enough hell on this earth and now i've got to go through something like this and Dang. and then the other other kids saying i just want to cry right now what's so damn bad is nobody's ever going to believe us uh i just want to get want to get home and take some nervous pills see a doctor i can't stand this i'm about to go to pieces i can't sleep Aww. i'm damn near crazy um these guys were really like they're they're yeah they're torn up falling apart eventually there was a plaque put on the the bridge though commemorating this this abduction because it was such a significant thing but anyhow the reason it's being reported is like 47 years later now this these tape. this tape has come to light and passed along uh to parker so this is like a piece of his history and i find that fascinating but this is a this is actually a very big part of sort of ufology and Mm -hmm. 47 years ago is relatively recent in these stories so interesting stuff i'm i'm curious super interesting curious to see what else episode five of unsolved mysteries did you watch that yet uh where they're talking about the um berkshire incident yeah berkshire incident yeah yeah it's similar yeah that's it is similar that's that could be a whole other enter uh, podcast as well but that said so we're gonna get into our topic now but we already talked a little bit about lake so let's go ahead and hear a word from our sponsors our first sponsor think things are bad now well, it could be worse. Don't believe me? Just read Dead Run, the new sci-fi thriller from author Mike Maddox. A mysterious force is taking control of people's bodies and making them run to stay alive. And if you can't keep running... Now, this is the ad copy, so I'm reading the ad copy because it says, if you can't keep running, you blow up like spaghetti left in the microwave too long. Not a good scene. Mm-mm. It's a very messy. Situation. And it's got to have marinara sauce because then it kind of looks like blood. Right, and this the pasta itself would be sort of Ew. look like viscera. Ew. And except in a microwave, but at least in a microwave, you're contained. The the explosion is contained. Yeah. It's a messy microwave to clean up. But if you're running down the road and you can't keep can't Flat. run anymore just splat you're just and then you're all over your friends and the other Ew. apocalyptic pals you do not nearby. splat on me 
And in an apocalypse, you don't have easy access to soap, water. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if you can stop running long enough to sh- like shampoo and, and bathe after yeah. your friend, your your pal is just blown up on you. Anyhow, I mean, this is really, I think, selling the book. Anyhow, the story follows a group of weary travelers as they make their way through a hellish landscape where there's only one rule. Run or die. This is Dead Run. And other than being chilling and scary, it will also perhaps inspire you to eat the right kind of carbs and jog every day just in case this apocalypse hits. So check it out. It's available exclusively on Amazon Kindle. It's only like three bucks. It's well worth your three bucks. And read Dead Run by Mike Maddox on Amazon Kindle. And we're back. All right, so we're talking lakes. Talking lakes. Bodies in water. Lakes. Bodies in water. And I'm guessing this is a true crime story that you're about to lay on me. Don't you know it? A lot of a lot um, of people go missing in lakes or or found in lakes. Or found in lakes. I'm doing one of the probably most well-known but also least well-known bodies in a lake uh last week i did the true story behind my favorite horror movie and this week i'm doing the favorite true story behind my favorite tv show because there's a fish in the percolator right i you know yeah, that's from yeah yeah i've seen twin peaks yeah <laughs> it's the best show i love twin peaks i'm wearing a twin peaks t-shirt right now i've been to the double r diner i'm a huge twin peaks freak Um, And so I am doing the true story behind Laura Palmer's character. Uh, Mark Frost, the creator of the show, grew up uh, in New York City. His grandmother lived in Sand Lake in New York, uh, where this story took place. And so he grew up knowing, knowing, he grew up knowing this story. And while you watch Twin Peaks, you're like, all of this is so crazy. You know, how did David Lynch come up with it? Which is true. I mean, you always think about that with David Lynch's projects. But then you read this true story and you're like, oh my God, there's not a lot that they made up. It's like real. So let's dig into it. Um, It's 1908 and Hazel Drew, great name is 20 years old and she's a governess for a professor's child in Troy, New York. A governess is like a nanny who also teaches. Um, She was very beloved. She was like a beautiful young woman. The family had had her around for quite a while. They adored her. But on Friday, July 3rd, she frantically runs into a local dressmaker and begs her to make her a custom blouse for the weekend. Um, Not like the craziest thing for a young woman to do at that time, but given that she was a governess, she wouldn't have made that much money. Um, So it kind of, the dressmaker told police, you know, she kind of thought it was weird, but you know, maybe she had saved up for this or something. So she didn't think twice about it. Um, So she makes her the custom blouse, and then that weekend, Hazel takes a quick train to Schenectady 
New York, which is where her aunt lives. It's only like a 30-minute trip, I think, via train from Troy, at least now, according to Google Maps. So, you know, maybe tack on a little bit of time back in 1908. Um, She spends the weekend there. It's 4th of July weekend, so it's like a big holiday weekend. Um, And then her next actions are where it starts to get kind of confusing. Monday the 6th, she goes back to Troy, um, and she quits her job. Just totally out of the blue. Nothing happens. She just, like, walks in and quits. Um, Which is odd, but, you know, things happen. Um, And then immediately after, she is spotted at the train station getting on a local train from Troy, New York, to Albany, New York. Again, like, now it's a 15-minute drive. So back then, it couldn't be that long of a train. Um, And she's seen carrying a suitcase. A few hours after that, she is now spotted back at the train station in Troy by someone else. So these two people that witnessed her there, they weren't, you know, friends. It's not like they had been hanging out there all day. One person saw her in the morning and then one person saw her in the afternoon. They tell police, they connect the story. It's so weird. And the second woman said she definitely was not carrying a suitcase. So she's going to Albany with a suitcase. She's back without one. And the second witness also said, um, that she had been looking like she was maybe looking for someone or was like trying to find a certain train or possibly was meeting someone there, but you know, couldn't hear from them. So it's all a little bit confusing, but those are the only two sightings of her after she quits her job on Monday. So that brings us to the next day, July 7th. It's Tuesday. Um, a man named Peter Sipperly boarded a train in a small town called Avril. Again, it's like 15, 20 minutes from Troy and Albany, almost like a perfect triangle from each other. He noticed, he doesn't know who this woman is, but he's on a train and notices this beautiful blonde woman. Um, and if you've seen pictures of Laura Palmer, of course, I'll post this to the Instagram, but it's crazy the casting because they look super similar. Um, he notices this beautiful blonde woman on the train and he sees her with this slim young man, which normally isn't weird, except for the fact that this guy will not take his eyes off of Hazel, which like is a, it's creepy, right? Like intense eye contact like that is odd. So he kind of makes note of it, but doesn't think really anything of it and goes back, sees, you know, however many weeks later, sees in the news that this girl, you know, is missing or whatever article he read and comes to police and say, listen, I saw this girl on this train and she was with this really bizarre guy. Um, Later that day, that same day that she was seen in Avril, uh, she's seen at 7.15 p.m. at a place called Sand Lake, which is right in that vicinity. So it was highly likely that it was her on this train because it would have put her in the right spot. Uh, So 7.15 p.m., two people spot her there. Uh, They say she was walking alone to her family friend's house and she was like really dressed to the nines. She must have been wearing her new blouse. She was wearing Victorian heels, which I'm sure were not comfortable. 
Um, and as you and I know, it's July in New York City, so it's hot as balls. Um, and here she is in this Victorian clothes. Like, that had to be kind of a miserable walk. Anyway. Um, so that's the last she's seen of that they see of her. These two people at 7.15 p.m. that night on the 7th. Uh, three days later, she is found floating in that lake. Um, she's bloated, decomposed, and that leads officers to guess that she must have been deceased for days, probably was deceased shortly after she was seen that night at 7.15 p.m. Um, she was in town that day because her little brother was staying at a family friend's house um, and she never made it there. So she was headed in that direction. That's where she was going to go. But, you know, as they find her body, they notice, you know, they put two and two together. She never made it home. She probably was killed in that 7 p.m. time frame. Um, at first, people are like, you know, it was crazy hot. Maybe she went to the water to cool off and she could have drowned. Um, but then they do an autopsy and it turns out that she had been hit in the back of the head and there was no water in her lungs. So she couldn't have drowned. She was killed and then placed in the Dropped. water. Dumped. Dumped. Yeah. Probably wasn't delicately placed. Um, tabloids go crazy. Um, it's kind of hard to make fact from fiction since it's been 120 years since this crime has been committed. Um, but some speculated that it could have been her uncle. Uh, she had been living with her uncle for a little bit with her little brother, but the brother had had a disagreement with him um, and moved out. That's why they, he was at the family friend's house. So, you know, maybe it was something to do with that. They also say a dentist had proposed to her, but the dentist that they dragged through the mud and the tabloids was already married. Uh, not to say that he couldn't have been a schmuck and like also proposed to her, but it seemed kind of like a stretch to me. Um, and then finally, to kind of tie it to Twin Peaks, as if it hadn't been already, um, there was a kid who was developmentally delayed in the area. Of course, these articles were from 1908, so I don't know what his developmental issue was, so I don't want to make any guesses, but they wanted to place the blame on him, which is, as we know now, like so aggravating because, you know. It's just a scapegoat. Anyway, I won't get into that tirade. Um, but that's a tie to Twin Peaks because Laura Palmer was a tutor to Audrey Horn's brother, Johnny, um, who also was developmentally delayed. So then this now takes even more life of the show because her suitcase is found at the train station. Hmm. So she had checked it in there and they open it up and find she had totally been living a double life. There were letters from admirers, many from New York City. Uh, one signed CES, um, and because I know you love old school love letters, as we learned in our Beaches episode, um, he signed it, I must see you soon or I'll die of starvation. That's intense. Classy. That's intense. I would like to get a letter like that. Really? I would, but I I've would, also been single for a while, so. 
I might write a letter like that, but then I don't think I would follow through. Because I'd be like, but now I need a sandwich. Or maybe maybe some Cheez-Its. I do like (laughs) Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its... Cheez-Its with Cholula on it, Cholula sauce, would get in, my, get in the way of my... I don't think I've ever seen you eat that. Well, you know, I have a life outside of... Is that your of, quarantine snack? I have a life outside of you. I have a life outside what? of America. What? But I would write the letter <laughs> saying I will die of starvation, but then about 20 minutes after that, I'd be like, eh, I need a sandwich. Or a burrito. <laughs> it's that counts. In fact, I Ooh, want a burrito, burrito. right now. I was thinking about getting a burrito for dinner last night because I have to say I'm so sick of feeding myself. Like, I hate feeding myself. I just, I need a mom to live with me all the time and feed me. Do you need someone to put the burrito in your mouth and No, I can do that, but I just don't, I'm so tired of making my own food. Well. Anyway, so CES was going to die of starvation if you didn't see her soon. Uh, Her best friend, Carrie Weaver, was interviewed and said she had absolutely no idea who this man was, that she had been seeing anybody at all. And you'd think if it's your best friend, you tell them anything. I think my best friend would probably like if I told her a little bit less of my life. Um, So in that that suitcase, they also found... um, uh, they also found a letter from a man in New York. They tracked him down and he said, you know, he'd been really in love with her. He called her his lady with the blonde hair, like Becky with the good hair. Uh, there was also a note in her case that a man named Edward Lavoie had left Albany for Chattanooga. Uh, so maybe this was another possible love interest to the story maybe that's where she was trying to go maybe she was trying to find him we don't know um all of these suitors could also explain her custom-made clothing uh where she got the money for that um her friend carrie was super suspicious of how she had previously been able to afford these trips to new york on a governess salary but you know was like chalking it up to other things but now it's kind of sounding like her suitors in her secret life kind of funded this um, the final suspect is Super Twin Peaksy. His name is Henry Cramroth. Uh, he is a man in the Sandy Lake area. He owned a camp on the shore and rumors had it that he would have wild orgies and would keep women against their will. Well. And this was in 1908. I mean... I'm all for someone having consensual wild orgies, but the keeping women against their will is not cool. But, like, showing ankles at this time was, like, scandalous. Yeah, that's true, but that's what... I I mean, you're right, but there's always been throughout history people that have Marquis de Sade, uh, you know, um, who else... Caligula I mean he went a little crazy but there's always been people that have pushed the boundaries of what is socially and sexually accepted by mainstream culture not to say that it's not wacky like it certainly was out of the norm but yeah keeping well, especially out of the norm then um his glasses were found on the shore where her body was discovered 
the night in question, neighbors claim to see a woman running in a rubber overcoat on the shore, like running afraid. Um, another Laura Palmer tie because she was found wrapped in plastic on the beach. Um, and that night screams were also reported to be coming from this camp on the lake shore. Um, there was also a rumor in the town that she was pregnant by a local business owner. Um, but this came out after her body had already been buried. Um, so they did, uh, what's dig her back up. What's like the polite way to say that exhume exhume. They did exhume her, um, but it didn't, they couldn't find that she had been pregnant. It was probably just a rumor. I don't know how polite exhuming is, but I think it's, <laughs> it's the, terribly impolite, but it's certainly better than digging the body up. It's the official term, yes. But. It's the official term. Um, but that's it. The case just kind of went cold because it was 1908 and it wasn't like there was stuff like DNA and things like that that could be, you know, figured out. I think Henry. Cramroth seems like kind of a decent suspect if women had been coming against him throughout the years. Um, but one person they didn't discuss is Bob. Maybe Bob overtook somebody's <laughs> body like her uncle's and killed her. I'm just going to say we also need to interview the logs. Maybe somebody's log saw something that night. And Bob's your uncle. And... Well, so no. Is that is where it. they get the phrase "Bob's your uncle" from Twin Peaks? No. Oh. But it just sort of fits. Got it. In this case, but well, that's spooky. So no real, no real uh, resolution on that one. No, uh, there is. I got the idea from this because there's a new documentary coming out next year by Benjamin Alfonsi called Blonde, Beautiful, and Dead, the murder mystery that inspired Twin Peaks. So I cannot wait to watch that. Cool. Well, I mean, cool. not cool, but, you know, horrible, but interesting. Interesting. All right, well, before <laughs> I carry on with my travels on a lake, let's hear from another sponsor. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Nightmerica is excited to announce we have a new sponsor, Manscaped. And to talk about the men's grooming kits, we have a really big fan of Manscaped. But not a man, a Sasquatch. From the Florida Everglades, let's welcome Skunk Ape to the show. Thanks for joining, Mr. Ape. 
Oh, skunk is fine, just fine. That's uh, that's what my friends call me. Even though you're an elusive cryptid, you're able to have a social life. Oh, sure, sure. Wood booger, yeah, we mow, mow, Wendigo, mow, galon. We all, we all hang out. Well, that's great. With all those friends, it's probably important to look your best. We take a lot of pride in how we look uh, in the Sasquatch community, especially uh, since, uh, as you can imagine, there ain't a whole heck of a lot of us out there, so it gets pretty darn competitive getting attention from the lady squatches. So the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped has a durable, skin-safe ceramic blade when you groom your, uh, squatchy regions. Don't you know it? That Lawnmower 3.0 holds an edge, so I'm less likely to nick my nugs. It's happened before, and it ain't pretty. There's blood everywhere. Everyone down in the glades heard me howl out that one time. Whoop whoop! That's what, that's what it sounded like when I nicked my nugs. But not with this Lawnmower 3.0. Dude, that's intense. I have certainly been there. It is no fun at all. Skunky, I imagine grooming down there probably takes a lot of time because you're a pretty big guy. Well, you know what they say about big feet. Big shoes? Big balls! Yep, right, sizable. Sasquatchicles. Big old ones. But with them lithium-ion batteries I can charge that puppy up on the USB dock, I can use it for 90 minutes. It's even waterproof, so I can fire it up in the glades and take a good long time getting my squashticles right where they needs to be. Well, with that waterproof technology, that's got to be helpful in the glades. Or even for a human like me who uses the shower. Is the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 getting you noticed down there? Only in the right ways. All the lady squatches or, or men, no, no judgment, they take notice. But I can still stay hidden because with that quiet stroke technology... It does not make a lot of noise and attract unwanted look-a-loos. And that's a very important part of the Squatch Code. You gotta stay undercover, you know? I can even groom up my Squatchicles in the middle of the night. Cause it's got an LED light on it so you can see where your Patterson and Gimlin are. It's a memorable pair. And speaking of memorable pairs, you also like the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Well, you might have heard I have a bit of an odor issue, hence the nickname Skunky. And with the Florida humidity, uh, I can smell pretty darn ripe down there. So I use that Manscaped Ball Deodorant to, to make the Squashicles smell fresh as a daisy and the Ball Toner to freshen up when Skunk turns to funk. Maybe we should start calling you Flowers instead of Skunky. Well, Skunky, if you or your Squatch Buddies or any listeners out there want to groom safely, and who doesn't, head over to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA for 20% off plus free shipping off your order. For one more time, that's... Squatchscaped. No, no, it's not. It's Manscaped. Manscaped. The right tools for the job. All right, well, you are talking about the true story behind Twin Peaks. Well, that happened in, what, 1908? Just about mm-hmm. six years earlier is where my story is set, or when my story Ooh. is set. And so, first off, we're talking about lakes, and I was trying to decide where to go with this. Well, as it happens... There are the Great Lakes, the Great Lakes in North America, and it's a lake. It counts as a lake because Lake Superior is the largest freshwater lake by surface area and the third largest freshwater lake by volume. Those facts 
come to us from Wikipedia, but I've independently confirmed that. That's true. But Great Lake, the Great Lakes, Lake Superior, there's actually more than 6,000 known shipwrecks in all of the Great Lakes. More than 6,000. Oh my God, I didn't know that. And more than 200 just in the 80-mile stretch of Lake Superior off of Whitefish Point. And it's known well, as... Well, that's eerie. It's known... Ho-ho! Yeah, well done. <laughs> uh, I will give you credit for that. Uh, and it's the Whitefish Point off of Whitefish Point is known as the Shipwreck Coast. And How did that's... I not know this? And there's even a Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum... And there's executive director Bruce Lynn, who is, uh, who looks over the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum, and that's where some of the 6,000 known shipwrecks information comes from. Uh, I would advise going to the website of the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum. It's really cool looking. I've not been there. It makes me want to go there. But let's talk about Lake Superior. On Lake Superior, some of the weather that you might encounter during some of the seasons would be hurricane force winds, icy rain, water way too cold to survive in if you went over, sometimes 25-foot waves. Dang. Uh, Lake Superior is also known as the Gichigumi Lake. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> yes, Gichigumi by the, uh, by the indigenous peoples means big sea by the indigenous peoples of there and it's so and it's also very deep so with that let me introduce you to the ss bonnock burn which was a small cargo ship bonnock burn i like saying that that's like an that. excellent name yeah bonnock burn it's not scottish but make it, it scottish but it was english it was built by the sir relton dixon and company of Middlesbrough, England, built for the Montreal Transportation Company of Montreal, Quebec. Small cargo ship, launched in 1893, 245 feet long, 1,620 pounds. So as a British-built steamer, it was recognizable. Its profile stuck out. So it was recognizable by other ships that passed it on Lake Superior. As it hauled grain for 10 years. So, 1897, a couple years after launching, at full speed, the Bonnock Burn ran aground on the rocks near Snake Island, a lighthouse, I believe. There were no lives lost. She was badly damaged. 1897, October. Uh, there, it was carrying a cargo of grain. It was bound for Ontario, Kingston, Ontario, from Chicago. From your hood. Hey, hey. And, and it struck the wall of the Welland Canal and sprang a leak. No lives lost again. Good stuff. Good. 1902, November. The Bonnock Bird left Fort William. Uh, it's now known as Thunder Bay. And it was carrying 85,000 bushels of wheat, which is a lot of wheat in my. That's I don't, a lot of wheat. Seems like a lot of bushels for me. But. Right away, she ran aground. I, I chuckle at this because it's just like right away. It's like pulling out of your driveway and hitting something. Right away, it ran aground oh. 
shortly after leaving Fort William. And, um, but, okay, cool. So it had to go back in a Maybe port. Maybe Bonnie was gluten-free. Bonnie burn, yeah. It couldn't handle all the, all the wheat and its cargo yeah. on it in his belly. So, okay, went back to port. But the next day, next day, November 21st, 1902, it's back on the water. And it's, it's trucking along. In fact, ta- Captain James McMall of the freighter Algonquin saw the Bonnick Burn traveling southeast from where he was, 80 miles off Keweenaw Point and 40 miles off of Isle Royale. And Captain James McMall was actually acquainted with the Bonnick Burn's profile. He, he knew what he was looking for when he saw the ship because the Algonquin itself was a similar ship built in the UK, actually built in Scotland, the Algonquin was. So McMall saw her for a few minutes, lost the Bonnick Burn in the fog. Uh-oh. So it should be said that November 20th, this was kind of late in the season for this kind of trip, but mm-hmm. so be it. This thing was apparently known for being quite fast as well. 11 p.m. November 21st, 1902. The passenger steamer, the Huronic, which interesting that passenger steamers are on the Great Lakes. Passenger yeah. steamer Huronic passed the Bonnick Burn. A storm was raging at the moment. And and this was quite the storm. So so notable, in fact, that there was a waiter aboard the Huronic who wrote in his journal that night that it was the worst storm of the season, one of the worst he had seen. Now, the Huronic supposedly said they saw the Bonnick burn making good headway as it traveled to Sioux Locks, which was its destination. But it never arrived there. Okay, well, imagine... Is it you're just in, missing? Imagine you're in Sioux Locks. No big deal initially for a, a ship to be running late. Maybe, you know, okay, there was a storm after all. Maybe they anchored, took shelter somewhere. Maybe they're waiting out. They were running late. But no, didn't didn't show up. Supposedly, on November 25th, 1902, a steamship called the John D. Rockefeller passed through a debris field. This is not entirely confirmed, but this was reported. Basically, by this point, this story starts to gain attention. On November 27th, the Williams Times Journal quoted a person saying, Hey, I spotted the Bonnick Burn behind Slate Island with all the crew intact, except this quote was later denied. On November, yeah, how November, could he see all the crew? Well, I guess crew looking safe or whatever. November 28th, the Canadian paper, the British Whig, reported a message sent to the Chicago Underwriters Association, quote, the steamer Bonnick Burn has been located on the north shore of Lake Superior, crew safe. So, sadly, this information was passed along to family members. And, pun intended, it buoyed hopes. But... (laughs) This also turned out to be a lie. By November 30th, just like nine days later, the Bonnick Burn was given up for lost. 
And the British Whig, again, that newspaper said, quote, It is generally conceded that the missing steamer is not within earthly hailing distance, that she has found an everlasting berth in the unexplored depths of Lake Superior, and that the mm. facts of her foundering will never be known. Unquote. It's very mm. dramatic. Very dramatic. That is dramatic. I like that. Okay. On November 12th or 15th, depending on which report you want to look at, the Grand Marais Life-Saving Station, well, a life preserver washes ashore. Mm. There's also blood on it. And it's believed, <gasps> but, but not conclusive, that it came from the bonnet burn. And the entry on this was that the life preserver found bears seeming blood stains on its shoulder straps, which are tied. This condition is taken to indicate that the preserver had been washed from the dead. Oh my God, they were wearing it and then fish ate its limbs. That could be the case, or maybe it floated off of it. Who knows? Maybe it's, you know, but. Oh yeah, I guess they could have had their hands up and like. That could also be it. If I'll only film you were, a video of that for the Patreon. If only you were <laughs> a maritime investigator in 1902, but not only 1902 because three years pass. That was that was the only wow only thing we get. Three years pass, and a piece of steel from the bottom of a vessel is discovered when the Welland Canal is drained, and this is believed to be part of the ship. But there's not a lot of evidence. To support mm -hmm. that, especially because this was a heavily used canal. Now, if this was the Bonnick burn, the theory would be that it suffered a failure of its hull and sank. Basically mm -hmm. ripped off part of its, its belly and sank. And I think it's worth noting that, again, there was some other previous uh, damage done to this ship. Now... There's also this theory of the superior shoal. Now, this is a shallow point of about 20 square miles in the middle of Lake Superior, and at its highest point, this shoal would have only been two and a half feet from the bottom of the Bonnick Bird. bird. Mm, so it could have just like rubbed its tummy up against it. During a storm, it would not be difficult to imagine that this would have like run against this and maybe it gouged yeah into this it was bloated from all the gluten it was bloated from all the gluten it was intolerant of all that gluten yep. and there is speculation that yeah again it was already weakened from other incidents but also the storms of november 1902 were notable for being so ugly there was a, mm -hmm. a boiler explosion theory i believe it was the mcmall captain mcmall um of the Algonquin posited that perhaps its boiler had exploded, but that kind of explosion would have been noticed by other people on the water. It's theorized. So, but that is, that is one of the theories. Now, this superior shoal though, that I actually find that that one's rather interesting, especially because yeah. it's also, suggested as the culprit in the losses of other ships, mm. most notably the Edmund Fitzgerald. Mm. 
Now that sunk in November 1975 on Lake Superior. Also a mysterious end. Nobody knows exactly what caused that one. No remains were recovered of 29 crew members from the Edmund Fitzgerald. That's crazy. But the ship itself has been found at the bottom of of the water. It's um, just a slight, slight detour here. The Edmund Fitzgerald, when you're talking about ships, shipwrecks on the Great Lakes, Edmund Fitzgerald is probably most the most famous, but the Bonnetburn, I think, is it's sort of more famous for me. However, what makes the Edmund Fitzgerald story so famous is well, it's relatively recent, but it was also immortalized in the Canadian folk singer Gordon Lightfoot's song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which I will not sing. Oh, but, dang it. But the the one lyric of it is the lake it is said never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. So you know, oh. so the whole notion of no gloomy November. Anyhow, one of the but theories. But that's what I'm wondering. Like, where are all these bodies? Well, the bodies are entombed in the Edmund Fitzgerald, likely. But there's mm. there's not been anything found. Really, no no significant amount found from the Bonnetburn. However. Another theory with this, and this is this is just kind of terrifying when you consider Lake Superior. There is this phenomenon, natural phenomenon, known as the Three Sisters. Now, the Three Sisters is a series of waves, and essentially, it's it's three waves form. The first wave hits the ship. Uh, the second wave hits the ship's deck before the first wave clears and then the third wave adds to the two accumulated backwashes and suddenly overloads the ship's deck and sinks the boat so just reasonable you know boom 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 okay so bonnetburn unsolved mystery lake superior 20 men aboard that lost their lives very young men too should be noted not shockingly, this has led to ghost stories. In fact, the Bonnetburn has become known as the Flying Dutchman of the Great Lakes. Of course, you've heard of Flying Dutchman. That's the notorious, like, Davy, Davy Jones ship. Well, this would be the Flying Dutchman of the Great Lakes. Got it. Sailors have reported seeing the vessel appear in a dense fog and some have even reported seeing a skeleton crew manning the vessel or even poking out from portholes like actual skeletons manning the boat dwight boyer who is an author he wrote uh, i i don't have this book uh, on me i've had this book in the past i don't know what happened to it dwight boyer wrote this book called ghost ships of the great lakes and again, he said on stormy nights, sailors claimed to have seen the bonnet burn, quote, buffeting her way down Lake Superior, her lamps blinking in the storm's gut, while in the darkened pilot house, her master looks vainly for the welcoming flash of Caribou Island light. So there's a lot of there's a lot of these stories that are kind of vague without a lot of documentation. And I think this kind of fits with somewhat maritime 
stories. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. sailor, there's seamen telling these these stories, and it's not always there's not always like strict documentation behind it. But by 1909, only uh, seven years after this ship went down, the legend was already set. In fact, in 1909, James Oliver Kerwood wrote the book The Great Lakes and the Vessels That Plowed Them. And the purpose of this book, sort of like we didn't think about all the ghosts or uh, of all the wrecks, shipwrecks that took place on the Great Lakes. Well, James Oliver Kerwood wrote this book in 1909 about the Great Lakes to be sort of the maritime history of the Great Lakes, kind of connecting them Mm -hmm. to activities on the ocean, saying like there's been enough maritime history on the Great Lakes similar to the ocean. Anyhow, I'm going to quote James Oliver Kerwood. He said in 1909, quote, And now, by certain superstitious sailors, the Bonnick Burn is supposed to be the Flying Dutchman of the Inland Seas. And there are those who will tell you in all earnestness that on icy nights, when the heaven above and the sea below are joined in one black pall, they have described the missing Bonnick Burn, a ghostly apparition of ice scudding through the gloom. And this is but what more, one more illustration of the fact that all the romance of men who go down to the sea in ships is not confined to the big oceans. He was connecting oceans with the lakes. But this idea of like an icy ship. I love it. Scudding along Lake Superior. I'm all about it. So that's 1909. Well, in the 1940s, the steamer, the Walter A. Hutchinson, reportedly saw the Bonnick burn also during a November storm. So it sounds like this phenomena, if it does exist, seems to to repeat or at least be energized, activated during November storms. So what the Walter A. Hutchinson reportedly saw was the Bonnick burn emerging in the fog and coming directly at the ship. Now, why? It was so fast and so sudden, it forced the Walter A. Hutchinson to change course. And then the crew saw the Bonnick Burn run aground and rip apart at the seams and then finally vanish. Well, according to the Walter A. Hutchinson, they came to believe that it was warned away from being impaled on the rocks as if the Mm. Bonnick Burn was this this omen. That's cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, again, this is somewhat questionable of record, but it is a cool story. And there was another one that's very vague in 2001 that it's hard to pin down the details on. However, I will say in October 2016, only a couple years ago, there was a story that was picked up by CNN. A local videographer was filming in the area. He was filming a music video. And apparently the crew calls it a day, decides to enjoy the sunset on the shore. And this videographer, Jason Asselin, 
was filming a rainbow when he spotted a shimmering object, a shimmering ghost ship off the rocky shore. Now, he says that it looks like this ghost ship was bobbing on the choppy waters for nearly half an hour before it vanished. And there is video of this. And you can look, we can provide the link, and there is video of what indeed looks like an image on the water, and it could indeed be interpreted as a ship. Could also be said. Oh my God, send it to me. Some people, I will. Some people say that it was actually Jesus walking with a staff, which would be a giant Jesus walking on a staff on the water. Or, perhaps more likely, that it's a mirage from the Granite Island Lighthouse, which was off in the distance. And mm. But it does look like an interesting thing on the water. Now, just kind of wrapping it up to go back to the executive director of the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum, Bruce Lynn. He said, if there was a ghost ship sighting, this would be the place for it right on the waters of Lake Superior. And there is the only memorial, which I think there should be more of a memorial, but the only memorial for the Bonnick Burn is a stone tablet in a church in Port Dalhousie, Ontario. It was actually purchased by the captain's brother and placed there. Hmm. Yeah, they but need more. There should be something a little more notable. But yeah. I will say... If you're on Lake Superior on a November night when a storm is raging, fog is rolling in, or the weather is about to change, beware the waters of the Great Lake and keep your eyes peeled for the SS Bonnickburn, the Flying Dutchman of Lake Superior. Seriously. Can we... Do we think this will all be lifted come November and we could like rent an Airbnb with all of our like Patreon supporters and hang out and look for it. That would be cool. It will probably be cold, but sure. Why not? I'll do it. I, That'd be fun. I would, I definitely want to check out this shipwreck museum. Yeah, that's cool. It looks really, uh, really like something that I could I could get into and mm -hmm. it's shipwreckmuseum.com so they you know they've got got that under control uh, they also have a lot of good stuff on the Edmund Fitzgerald but I also I do really want to call out first off Dwight Boyer author of Ghost Ships of the Great Lakes but JC Archaeology J-A-Y-S-E-A JC Archaeology dot wordpress dot com is a the blog editor there jordan has done a hero's job documenting a lot of this information and i was already familiar with this story but he has added in a lot of details that i did not have so i just really want to give a shout out to that so yeah That's great i love these stories of i mean certainly the water is is said to be charged with paranormal activity mm -hmm. and this sudden unresolved death these men their their watery graves has not even been discovered their fate has not even been discovered so 
perhaps they just seek some sort of resolution and perhaps along the way seek to warn other sailors on the waters of of Lake Superior. Yeah, that's cool that they're doing good. I like it. That was an interesting story for a Midwesterner growing up on the Great Lakes who didn't know. Yeah, I it it's the kind of thing that I feel like I've been learning a lot about that region lately. There's a lot of stuff in around the Great Lakes region and a lot of stuff mm-hmm. in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Yes. Which is not where this is, but the, you know, that's another area where there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Blueberries. I was thinking uh, Sasquatch, but blueberries too. Oh, they're also known for their blueberries. Which maybe Sasquatch eats? I don't know. Probably. But, well, before we wrap up the episode, what is your paranormal pop culture fascination for the day? Um, I have been suggested to watch the movie Dr. Sleep by my friend Justin. He runs the Dissident Film Club podcast. He has been telling me to watch this for like ever and I just haven't. And I finally watched it this week. It's like the second edition in The Shining. Um, Danny is now older. He's played by the ever handsome Ewan McGregor. Um, And it's so good. It's seriously so good. If Halloween is not canceled, I am totally going to be Rose the Hat for Halloween because she's like the most beautiful woman ever captured on film. And I just think she's so cool. So It's a great movie. I mean, I I happen to really enjoy it. And I think they did a really impressive job of marrying the Kubrick version Mm -hmm. of The Shining... Stephen King's novel, of course, but also then combining that with uh, Stephen King's sequel book, it, it kind of is a, a just a really interesting combination of elements. It's a it's a movie based on a book sequel to a book, but also looping in a movie that Stephen King hated. Yeah, it's so good. So I I was impressed with what they did. I found it pretty creepy, too. Yeah, highly recommend. What's yours? Well, I'm actually, I did get into it. I I must say that even though I'm in the paranormal community, I don't get to watch every single TV show that comes out, but I did get a chance to watch a lot of Hotel Paranormal on the Travel Channel. It's narrated by Dan Aykroyd, of course, uh, Dr. Ray Stantz from Ghostbusters. And it's a recreation show, reenactment show, based on people that encounter things as they're on the road and they stop in at a hotel, a motel, a hostel. A hotel, motel, Holiday Inn. Hotel, motel, Holiday Inn. You've got that hotel, motel, Holiday Inn. We won't sing any more, though, so we don't get sued. If I can't sing Gordon Lightfoot, or too much of Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, people have written in saying they like that I'm singing. Well, I'm and by sure people, I mean one person. Well, hopefully. Look, I'm just paranoid about getting sued for, you know, copyright infringement. True. Wouldn't it be uh, ironic if, if of all the 
bars sung on the song. It's Gordon Lightfoot that comes after us. That would be great. The folksy Canadian. Well, not great, but but interesting. Anyhow, yeah, so Dan Aykroyd. Uh, what I love about Dan Aykroyd, I'm going to give a shameless plug. I did plug. I did interview Dan Aykroyd for this show, for the Travel Channel. And, you know, I've known this for a long time. Dan Aykroyd's family is a spiritualist family. They're, they're highly mm. influential in the spiritualism movement. And he's just a really quirky interesting guy talking about the paranormal and talking about all these these rabbit holes of the paranormal so uh, it was a great interview to do and also it's fun seeing him narrate this hotel paranormal with this gravitas as he walks us through these stories so uh it's it's a lot of fun so that airs i believe saturday nights on travel channel so i'd say check that out the interview with him did you write it or is it on camera it's a written interview. I also have audio with him that at some point I'll probably, maybe I'll post it on America because it's uh, on Travel Channel. It's just the text. So I have the audio. Oh, cool. Cool. Well, I'll link the text on uh, the show notes so you guys can read it. Awesome. Well, those were our, our, our lake, our bodies in water. Some of those bodies yeah. undiscovered. It's uh, on lakes. I would say That's it was right. a superior episode. Ho, 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 ho. Ho, ho, ho. If you like Nightmerica, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash Nightmerica. And consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow on social media and share this with your friends. And if you'd like to share your paranormal stories or even seek paranormal advice which is for entertainment purposes only email nightmericashow at gmail.com as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.